Brothers and sisters, as I was trying to figure out what to do after having preached a whole year through the gospel of Mark, giving us that foundation, I, I uh, had a lot of, of ways to go. But the thing that uh, intervened in my mind the most was a Christmas letter, a letter to Santa from my son, Sadir. I wish I had the whole thing in front of me to share with you, but uh, I can tell you it was a full page of items he hoped that Santa would bring, and every single one of them had to do with the Green Bay Packers. He wanted a Devontae Adams jersey, an Aaron Jones jersey. He wanted a water bottle, underwear, shoes, boots. He wanted everything with the Packer logo. And I looked to my wife and I said, you know, I wanted to rear Sadir so he had an appreciation of the sport, to be enculturated so he could speak the, the language of football as, as well as, as, for example, as well as Deb Burroughs speaks football uh, to us in our own congregation, you know. I wanted him to be able to, to, be, to be, you know, uh, fluent in the language and I might have overdone it. <laughs> But that's the excuse, that's the explanation for why I decided that for the next few weeks, I wanted to have us be talking about football in church. And so the series that we're beginning today is the gospel in football. So now I know that some of you may be saying, whoa, 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 I hate football. That's okay. It's only going to be a metaphor. It's, football is just going to be the one of the set of illustrations from which we'll draw. Whether you love or hate or don't care about football, I'm pretty sure that something in this series will speak to you. Now, I want to tell you a little bit about the context of the epistle lesson that we had today that was just read from uh, 1 Corinthians. Um, in, in Corinth, you need, if I had a map that I, that I could show you, you'd see Corinth is a, is a city on the, on the Mediterranean Sea in the southern part of Greece. And it was surrounded by the four cities in which were held the Panhellenic Games, one of which was Olympia. One of the closest was the town Olympia, from which we get our own word Olympics. Uh, and so Paul did his ministry. He lived 18 months in Corinth. And he did it right in the midst of and right during the Panhellenic Games. The Olympics were held every four years, and the Panhellenic Games were held every year. So he drew above, he drew from a metaphor uh, that everyone around him would have understood, sort of like today in our time. Right now, the you know, we're in the midst of the college football championships. We're we're figuring out who's going to be in our NFL playoffs, and it's the it's the talk of many households these days. Now, in those original games, there was no football. They did have balls. They had balls that were not inflated balls, but they were often filled with feathers. But most of all, in these games, they had what we call athletic games. The athletic games would have been, um, you know, the, the sports like track and field, you know, shot put. Uh, they had boxing. Uh, we'll say more about that you know, as we go. The, the games were so important that even during war, they would, they would negotiate truces and suspend hostility so that they could pursue the, the Panhellenic Games. That's how important they were to them. And Paul was a fan. Paul was a sports fan, folks. He wrote about sports. He used sporting metaphors in many of his epistles. 
Now, in Corinth, um, as I said, the, either side of them, where there were these massive stadiums, you know, a stadion, actually. A stadion is the Greek word that described, you know, about a 200-meter long coliseum, if you will. And it's the word from which we get our word stadium. Um, the, 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 some of the things that they held in the stadiums were chariot racing, foot races, and you can still see these stadiums there in Corinth. Uh, uh, Paul draws upon this. Now, the competition was important to them, and the winner, of course, in those days would get an award. It wasn't a gold and silver and bronze medal that we're used to, but rather they would get uh, some sort of garland around their head. You know, in some places it was made of a laurel you know, tree, the branches from a laurel. But in Paul's area, the it is an interesting thing, I think. The crown that the winners of these races would get was a garland around his head that was made of celery. They would they would weave a little piece of a crown out of celery. And that's sort of important to our text. Uh, sometimes they used pine needles. It was a sign of great honor to have this garland around your head. And so that's the context in which we get this text from Paul, where he speaks of, of uh, this crown. You know, he, he talks about uh, this crown that uh, uh, will will not wither, but will like you know wither like like the celery would, but would would last forever, for, you know, eternally. That's the illusion he's making. Paul also uh, spoke about boxing in this in the text we read today, and he talks about how Paul prepared like a boxer. I don't know if you guys, I was a boxer. I used to love the boxer at the Naval Academy. And, and so he talks about how you have to give, give your all uh, to this Christian life, drawing upon the boxing medical. The key message, if you're going to win anything, Paul says, you're going to have to give it some effort. And three things are required. You have to give effort, you know, hard work, you have to have self-discipline. If you recall, one of the fruits of the Spirit that we spoke about, the last fruit of the Spirit that Paul mentioned in Galatia 5.22 that we spoke about during the last sermon series. Self-discipline, the thing that is so hard. And the third thing is sacrifice. Hard work, self-discipline, and sacrifice. These are the things that we find in Scripture that are needed for the Christian life. The point is, you can't win anything, anything in life, without these three things. I know we know these things. I, I just want to remind us of these things today. Now, there's a phrase, if you've ever played football, that some of you may be familiar with. I tried it out on my wife, and she wasn't as familiar with it, so I recognize this may be one of those things that those of us who grew up playing uh, sports on the field with male coaches might have heard. Forgive me. But there's a phrase, you know, when they talk about you need to put in the hard work. You need to put in the hard work. The coaches will do, maybe some of you will remember this, they, they talk about mailing it in or phoning it in. I see some of you nodding your head. You recognize, you know, are you, are you phoning it in, Tyrone? You know, you know, Craig, are you phoning it in? Which, which would mean uh, that are you not giving it your best effort? Are you back home, you know, phoning in your workout today rather than actually doing it? So to phone it in is a metaphor. The coaches routinely use in football and other sports at least with us men, to refer to you're not putting in the effort that's required. You're not bringing your passion to it. And I, every time I hear that word passion, I'm reminded of Jesus's passion in which he gave everything on our behalf. So phoning in it means you're not bringing your passion to it. When we mail it in, we don't experience the best. Now, you might not, you might, you might actually have the talent to play in the NFL, but you won't stay there without putting in some hard work 
self-discipline and sacrifice. You might get hurt or cut from the team. You can't make it on talent alone. I've seen this true of many folks along my way. Athletes who had superior skill, but did not have the self-discipline, the willingness to sacrifice that was necessary to bring their talents uh, to the fruits that they made possible. This is true in all avenues of life. So there's a training regimen. There's a pain, there's a cost. And the problem is that there's so many distractions in life that, that attract us away from that training uh, that we lack discipline. And so we need to do more than, than what is expected of us. And so to win, what do we need? We need hard work, self-discipline and sacrifice. We see this in this text from Paul today. Now, I don't know if any of you ever took piano. I, I remember my mom signing me up to take piano, and uh, I took piano lessons. And we didn't have a piano at home. We had an organ, but I took piano lessons without having a piano at home. And I remember that I didn't improve. I'd go to the teacher, she said, did you practice last week? And I'd say, oops, I didn't. And so I would go again and again, and I would not get better. And eventually, my mom said, you know, we're not going to make this effort of driving you across town for piano lessons if you're not going to do the minimum that's necessary. You know, there's another sport that I love to hate, golf. I don't know if any of you ever play golf. I think some of you have told me that you do. And go I am the world's worst golfer. I have a lot of talent. I'm a good athlete. And I can get out there and occasionally I will crush that ball. But I never practice. I never practice. I'll get out there and I'll play once or twice in a, in a decade. And I'll get out there and, and, I, and I really am, am horrible at golf. But it's, the reason is because I stink is because I don't make the effort. Now, it's not just sports where we have this, you know, in our marriages, in our relationships, we have the same thing. There are seasons, I have to confess, uh, in my first marriage, you know, my wife, uh, my late wife, um, uh, where I just phoned it in. I just phoned it in. I didn't make an effort. And when you phone it in in marriage, it means you're not trying very hard. If you phone it in in your relationship, it means you're not trying very hard, not figuring out ways to bless the other, not going out of the way, your way to show that you care. You're just phoning it in. The problem is that no marriage actually worked. It's never what God intended it to be for you and for others if you just phone it in. Now, I try to work at it, but sometimes I phone it in. I wonder... If any of you are phoning it in, even in your autumn years, right now in your relationships. Physical fitness is another area. I know about you guys, but I uh, have there have been times when I've phoned it in in my health. Uh, I've had some bad numbers. I remember when I had the cholesterol numbers that scared me. And I hadn't noticed how much weight I had put on, uh, you know, and, and I, I decided to get better. But in order to get better, one of the things I need to do is exercise. And then I had to have the discipline to keep it up day after day after day after day. And eventually I'd have other things that would distract me from this and I wouldn't make the progress that I wanted. Um, in school, in school, we have a, a young daughter who's, who's who we're trying to teach to, to have this discipline in her schoolwork. Uh, it's so easy to phone it in in your schoolwork. So easy to just get by. 
And the thing that we're trying to teach her, and, and I think we need to remind all the kids, our grandkids and everyone, is that you know you won't you will be out of consideration for scholarships, or you won't be able to get, compete with the schools you want to get into. You'll miss out on a lot if you phone it in at school. Hard work, self-discipline, and sacrifice. It's required in every part of our life, and particularly at work. So my question for you, are there areas of your life, as you look back upon your 2021, where you were phoning it in? And where you say in 2022, might ought to not phone it in anymore. Do you need to stop phoning it in in certain areas of your life where you need to give more effort, discipline, and sacrifice? I have that need, and I've been talking an awful lot about it, making plans and planning out my 2022 to, to, to do better in those areas. Now, all this is a background because I want to say is we're about to baptize little Micah here and, and, and refresh our own baptismal vows. But it's possible for us also to phone it in in our spiritual life. I know because sometimes I myself have done that. It's easy to think, in other words, that this is what the Christian life is about. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I believe that God loves me. And I'm trying to be a good person. And the fruit of that is I get to go to whatever we mean when we talk about heaven. How awesome is that? The question, do you think, after having gone through the entire Gospel of Mark, what you read about, from, heard from the Gospel of Mark in the last year, do you think that Jesus took on being crucified, took on being tortured to death on the cross? He hung there for six hours thinking, gosh, I hope there's a whole bunch of people who will believe in God and try not to be a bad person as other people. Do you think that that was what his life was all about? Or was Jesus trying to lead a revolution of the heart where humans would look at him and say, man, look what it cost him to help me know the love of God. And, and I bet God wants something more from me than simply being as bad as other people or not as bad as other people. Maybe God wants to use me to be light and salt in the world, to transform the world, to bring justice and mercy and compassion and kindness. Maybe I'm meant to seek God and pursue God with everything I am, and not just with the leftovers of my life. You see, when we phone it in, in our spiritual life, that's what we do. We give to God our leftovers rather than our all. Now, I'm speaking to you here in church, but many folks show up in church once or twice a year or once or twice a decade, and they say, I know that God loves me, and I'm trying not to be as bad as someone else, and that's all that Jesus wanted from me. I'm telling you, folks, that that is not all that God wanted. God created you. He has an idea in mind of what you might do and the role that you might play in the world, in transforming the world by following him. Listen to what Jesus said through the gospel text today. If any of you want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross. He had a lot more in mind for you. No, 
he was hoping to transform the world. And he was hoping that you might pursue God, that you might live in relationship with God, that you might be a part of this kingdom that he had inaugurated, to be the light and the salt in the world, that the world would be changed and you would be changed because of him and your faith in him. It requires effort. It requires self-discipline. It requires sacrifice in order to become the kind of Christian that God wants you to be. Now, there's a careful balance here. Because Jesus says, on the one hand, come to me, all you who labor. And he talks about that his yoke is light. You know, he's saying, hey, trust me in this. I've got you. I've got your back. I'm going to lift you up and build you up. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to love you. But then he also says what we read today. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. And later on in, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew Gospel, in, in, in Mark, in another place, he, he quotes the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. Not some of it, not a bit of it, but all of it. He, does, he says, God, love God with all your heart. And later he says, those who want to become truly great must become servants of other people. So he models that for his disciples, for us, by laying down his life for us. Question. Is your Christian life easy? Is your Christian life easy or is it simple? Does it require anything at all beyond just coming to church on Sunday? Do you put anything into it? Here's the thing that I say. In every part of life, what you put into it is what you get out of it. You put in a little bit of effort, you get a little bit of reward. You put a lot into it, you get a lot more reward. That's how it works in every part of life, including the Christian spiritual life. Now, do you wonder sometimes, why do I not experience more of God's presence, more of God's powerful spirit and love and grace and love and peace that I desire? Well, what are you putting into it? In the Revelation to John, in the book we call the Revelation to John of Patmos, Jesus uh, has these letters that he, he in, the, in the book, wrote. And one of them is to Laodicea, which is, the, you, you may recall, this is the one where he, he accuses the church of being lukewarm. Have you ever... Ever picked up a cup of coffee, about, you're about to drink it, and you think it's hot, and you, and you drink it, and you almost spit it out because it's cold, cold coffee, and it just, you just spit it out. And, 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 and the revelation of John, that's what Jesus says. He, he says, I'm going to spit you out because you have been lukewarm. What Jesus desires for us is an authentic, deep-meaning, life-transforming, joy-infusing faith that requires that we put something into it. It requires daily work to play in the NFL on Sunday. The same is true in our Christian lives. So today I want to remind us as we gather around the baptismal font that the art of living the way of love, that the sport of life itself, not just the Christian life, but any life, is not a spectator sport. Christianity is not a spectator sport. Life is not a spectator sport. You're meant to be in the game. You're meant to play. You're meant to put up whatever it takes in order to play and win in the game of life. So I ask you, are you spectating or are you playing?
That's what our text is about today. Now, sometimes one of the things we learn, you listen, you talk to athletes, is sometimes when you play in the life, you play in the game, you're going to get hurt. Sometimes you're going to get sore. You're going to be sore the next day and maybe for more days. There will be seasons of life in which you give and you give and you give, and it still feels like you're losing the game. But at least you played. You didn't just phone it in. Life requires hard work, self-discipline, and sacrifice to win, to be the people God wants us to be. So I want to ask you again to consider in the coming week, are you phoning it in? Or are you actually participating and playing at the game of life? As we stand here today at the beginning of a new year, you can look back and see that there are areas where you phoned it in the last year. Well, here is the chance to turn it around. In a few moments, we are going to be renewing our baptismal vows after we baptize Micah. I hope that you will hear these words. And when you reaffirm this baptismal covenant, take it seriously. Remember the meaning of your baptism. You have been called into this new way of life that takes sacrifice. This year, my promise to myself and to you is that I'm going to give more of myself to following Jesus. I'm going to give more of myself to the people I care about, to the work that I do. I'm going to give more of myself to truly living the life that God has given us. And I pray that's true for each of you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.